0: All right. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, I know I say this every single week, but I love to worship with you. I'm so glad that you are here today. Uh, we are in this uh, year of discipleship. Week number 42 is what we're kicking off. And uh, at the heart of this, as you know, most of you, uh, is this Bible reading plan F260. I'm going to invite you to join us if you haven't yet. We've only got a few weeks left, uh, but we've got physical Bible reading plans over Next Steps, also digitally at friendshipwire.com and on our social media feeds, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, We're in the series called Spirit and Truth. And we're in the New Testament. We've seen that Jesus has died, been buried, rose again, and ascended back to the Father. And just as he promised, he sent his Holy Spirit uh, who has come. The church is born. We saw in the book of Acts and the gospel, the good news of Jesus has become available to all. The good news that Jesus has come to rescue us from our sin, that if we would put our faith in him, we could know him, have a relationship with him, spend all of eternity with him, that he would redeem us. Uh, This is good news that has spread to all the earth, and the church, as a result of that, begins to grow as people respond in, in faith to the good news of the gospel. As they receive the word of God, the church begins to grow. And last week we talked about gospel centrality, the fact that this good news of the gospel is at the center of all that we do. And Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 1, the word of the cross. And we talked about that last week, this good news that changes your life, that changes your eternity. Um, It is available to all, and we make that the center of ministry and church life and personal lives and everything that we do. The gospel is central. Now, this week, what we're going to talk about, we're going to stay in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 9 today, but what we see is how this gospel centrality fleshes itself out in each of our lives and how we live our life. And so you all know as a church, we say this often, our desire, our mission as a church is to help others find full life. This life that we believe God has created us to experience. And we believe it's found in Christ in a relationship with Jesus. It's found in community, this this life amongst God's people and living on mission. And in other words, taking the gospel to others. Another way that we could express this mission is we want to win people to Jesus. We want to win people to Jesus. Can y'all say amen to that? We want to win people to Christ. We believe it is the best life that he has created us for. We're not here to win arguments, which is kind of the, the tone of our world and our nation over the last few years. We're not here to win arguments. We're here to win people over to the way of Jesus. Amen? That is what we're here for. and. We, you know, we've seen it again in our culture, we naturally want to be right, we want to win a fight, but God has called us to so much more than winning arguments and winning fights. He's called us to win people to the Lord, and this is part, this is part of the life of a disciple, in fact, back when Jesus was calling, he was recruiting and calling men to be his followers as disciples, Matthew 419, as part of his invitation to follow him, he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, you know, f- fishermen, th- these men he was speaking to were fishermen by trade and they spent their lives capturing fish and Jesus says if you follow me I will transform you I will make you into fishers of men I will make you into people who win or capture the souls of men and women this is part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus is winning people over to the way of Jesus and so today's sermon is called this are you in it to win it are you in it to win it we'll be in 1 corinthians chapter 9 we'll be looking at verses 16 through 27 today and last week we already kind of set the context for the book of first corinthians but let me just remind you the apostle paul is writing this letter to this this church in this roman city called corinth and he is writing to this church and these people that are in need of spiritual maturity there's a lot of spiritual immaturity in this church. And in particular, he's, he's addressing a couple huge issues in the church. Number one, there was division in the church. We talked about this last week. There wasn't unity around the gospel. And so Paul addresses that in this letter, 1 Corinthians. But then he also addresses this rampant sexual immorality and sin taking place in the church. And, and so Paul is writing to lovingly confront them and direct them back to the truth. And when we come to 1 Corinthians 9, where we'll be at this morning, uh, Paul, you know, what we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians is that there are some who are questioning Paul's authority, Paul's apostleship. In other words, uh, are you really sent from God? Did God send you? Do you have the authority of God uh, behind you, backing you? And so they question that. So Paul, in, in different places, is kind of defending his authority and his apostleship as one sent from God. And in the first part of first Corinthians chapter nine, um, he speaks to this, uh, he kind of argues around this point of his right or the right of anyone sent by God to be an apostle, um, to receive, uh, support financially and materially from the church. In other words, and this isn't in your notes, but I just want to read this verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14 says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, w- what he's talking about through this is, you know, Paul says, I have every right as someone sent by God to, um, to serve and to proclaim the gospel, to live off of the gospel. In other words, the support the financial support and material support of the people of the church. And so Paul speaks to this and we'll, we'll talk more about this in a few minutes but but you know as a pastor I'm not an apostle okay I'm a I'm a pastor I serve the lord and his church um, and one of the things I've been thinking about as I've kind of worked through this this week is uh, just the amount of gratitude that I have. We we sang gratitude earlier but uh, I've had a lot of gratitude as I've kind of thought through this this privilege and blessing that I have to be called to to lead a church. Um, as someone who is supported, you know, we talk about, um, you know, our offering every week and that we couldn't do the everyday work of ministry without your generosity. And part of that includes um, supporting me and supporting my family. Like, I love what I get called to do. I don't take for a, a moment, I don't take it for granted uh, that y'all support me and allow me to do what I get to do. I want to say thank you for your generosity and allowing me to do what God's called me to do. I would, I would absolutely do this for free. In a heartbeat if if my family was taken care of and, and we were supported in that way uh, i love what i get to do and i just want to say thank you for supporting uh, the work of this ministry it allows me to uh, do what i do week in and week out and and, and i I've, I've just reflected on how much of a blessing it is because uh, i do get to receive uh the material blessing of this church people who support us and bless us in different ways even this past week uh, it was fall break for our kids so uh, our family got to enjoy a couple uh, two or three days in myrtle beach thanks to a family who uh, let us use their their condo at the beach and here's what i want you to know as your pastor i will never ever rob anyone of the blessing of sharing your beach home with me all right i will <laughs> never do that it would be wrong of me to rob you of that blessing so um, I just want you to know that. So, um, <laughs> so we, man, we are we are blessed to be able to do what we do. And 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 Paul, as he comes through here in First Corinthians nine, he gives us his take on winning at life. Now, you know, y'all know if if we did a social media poll or just like the straw poll of folks and said, "Hey, how would you define winning at life?" We would get all kinds of answers, wouldn't we? And, and most of those answers would revolve around. Um, you know, our happiness and you know, what's going right in my life. And yet Paul had a very specific definition and you'll see that as we go through 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's definition of winning at life, winning at life is winning others to Christ. Winning at life is winning others to Christ. His life was wrapped up in winning people to Jesus. And so I just want to take a moment, if you would just bow your heads with me, I just want to pray as we open up 1 Corinthians 9, as we see Paul's heart for people, let's just ask the Lord to give us that same kind of heart. God, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have again to worship you, to open your word, to hear your words to us, your revelation of who you are, all that you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, this opportunity that we get to worship you, Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. Thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, I thank you for the heart of Paul and his desire to win people to the Lord Jesus, the one who has changed our lives. God, would you would you give us the same kind of heart that Paul had? Would you infuse us with a passion for the gospel and a passion for people who need the gospel? and God, help us to continually, again, even this morning, realize our need, our desperate need every day for the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you work um, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name? Amen. So 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 27, we're going to break this up and read it in three parts uh, as we see three things out of 1 Corinthians 9. The first thing we see from Paul is this, a gospel burden from God a gospel burden from God. And we say that word burden. Sometimes we think of burden being something you know burdensome. It's in a negative connotation. Um, it's something we want to get rid of, uh, get off our shoulders. But what we mean here is that a gospel burden, this, this weighty, substantial thing that is a stewardship. It's something that we've been entrusted with. Paul expresses this in verses 16 through 18. He says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. If y'all remember last week in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said, uh, let no man boast in anything except the Lord. Don't boast in yourself, boast in the Lord. And so Paul says, if I preach the gospel, if I believe the good news of the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. There's no boasting in myself. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for I do this of my if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So Paul has this gospel burden. He says in verse number 16 that necessity is is laid upon me. What Paul is saying is there is I have this divine compulsion. Like I am compelled by God to do this, to preach the gospel. I am called by God To do this. You know, one of the the phrases that I use a lot in in church life is shoulder tapping. Uh, So, one of the things we try to do, we work on doing around here as far as recruiting people to serve in areas of need, is what I call shoulder tapping, which is You know, not just a blanket statement of, you know, folks serving. um, Kind of like we were doing for We Love KC. That's an event, so we do that differently. But serving it on our hospitality team, serving on our worship team, serving in our kids' ministry. We try to shoulder tap, which means, hey, I see something in you. I see a gifting or, you know, something in you. I think you'd be great serving in this way. And so we try to promote this, you know, shoulder tapping. And maybe you would see somebody and say, man, you you are so kind and, and friendly. You should be serving people out front. And, and so when we when we do this, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to speak value into people. We see something in you. And so we want to invite you into this. This is shoulder tapping. And, and what Paul is saying here is the Lord has shoulder tapped me. And he has called me to do this. He has entrusted me with the good news of the gospel. And I feel this burden to steward it well. In fact, the way he says this is, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel and we see this word in the Bible woe or woe is me it's it's an exclamation of grief or distress or uh, lament in other words you know woe to me grief is going to come to me if I don't do this and I, I get this as a pastor because again I feel called to preach and I love uh, being in ministry I love being a pastor and so for me it would be woe to me if I spent my life selling ice cream, all right? And no offense to anyone who sells ice cream. I praise the Lord for you. I love ice cream and we need people called to sell ice cream. But woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, if I were to spend my life doing something other than what God has called me to do. And that's true of every single one of us in whatever way that God has called us. But, but Paul's gospel burden is this, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I feel the weight and the burden of of this. And, And so he goes on in verse 17 and 18. He says, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So Paul wasn't forced to do this, but this wasn't his choice. Necessity was placed upon him. God called him to this. So Paul says, what then is my reward? that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So the first part of of 1 Corinthians 9, like we talked about, Paul says, I have every right and any minister of God has every right based on the examples in nature and in the temple service of priests and and, in the word of God itself. God gives me every right to receive financial support. But what Paul says here is, I've set aside my rights to be supported financially. I'm not getting paid by the church. He says, I, I, I've, I've refused, I've set aside, I've sacrificed that right so that I can get the gospel to as many people as possible. He says, I don't want that to be a stumbling block. I don't want that to be an obstacle to people hearing the gospel. There there were people that were that were preaching the gospel for the sake of money, to be, to make money. And I would assume that even in 2022, there are people who enter into ministry for the sake of money. Now, I will tell you this, there are much better get-rich-quick schemes than being a pastor, all right? This isn't the greatest one. Um, But nonetheless, what Paul says is, hey, I've given up that right I'm giving the gospel free of charge. Nobody could accuse me of money being a motive, is what Paul is saying. I've given up that right so that I can preach the gospel. Why? Because he had this burden to get the gospel to as many people as possible. And so he was willing to do whatever it takes. And so there was this burden, this gospel burden to steward this gospel well so the question i've been wrestling with the question we all need to wrestle with today is this do i have that same burden do i have that same burden from god like woe is me if i don't preach this gospel necessity has been laid upon me and you know maybe you're like me and you would say "Mm, i don't always have that kind of burden like i wish i did and here's the solution to that. Pray, God, please give me a burden for the gospel. Please give me a burden for the gospel. You notice when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not something you and I produce. It's something that he does and transforms us. So we ask God, God, would you give me a gospel burden? That's something from your hand. Would you do that? And so we see in the life of of Paul, a gospel burden. And then we see this, a gospel generosity toward others, a gospel burden from God and a gospel generosity toward others. So Paul goes on here in verse number 19 through 23, and he says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And so this gospel burden from God translates into this gospel generosity toward others. And, And Paul says again in verse 19, For though I am free from all. In other words, he was free. He wasn't bound to be a servant or a slave to anyone. And yet what he says is, even though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So Paul here, in essence, what Paul says is, I have chosen servitude over self. I have chosen to serve others. Even though I have freedom, I, mean, I will lose myself. I will lose my rights in order to win Others. Galatians 5 13, we quoted this a few weeks ago when we were in the book of Galatians, but Paul says this about our freedom that we have in Christ. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as, a, as an opportunity to serve yourself. He says, But through love, serve one another. And this was the way of life for Paul. He chose servitude over Self, and he goes on in verses twenty, twenty-one, and twenty-two, and he says, "I become a servant to the Jews. I become like a Jew." And now he was born; he was by uh, birth a, a Jewish man, but he says, "I, I, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law, which was again speaking to the Jewish people that were under the law of Moses." But here he's maybe speaking more to their religious life and their their living according to the law of God. He says, "As." For those that are under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside of the law, and this, this isn't speaking to, you know, rebels or outlaws. He's speaking to Gentiles, those that were outside of the law of Moses, non-Jewish people. He says, to those who are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Why? To win those outside the law. To the weak, I became as weak. What's, what's he talking about when he's talking about the weak well, coming off the heels of 1 Corinthians 8, there's this portion there where he's talking about weaker brothers, weaker in the faith, who, those who may be offended by meat offered to idols. And he says, if, if that offends, it's not wrong to do, but if it offends my brother, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to offend my weaker brother. And so what he says here is, to the weak, I became as weak. I became all things to all people that I might save some. And you see over and over and over, Paul's desire is to win people to win, to win, to win. The focus of his life was to win others to Jesus. Verse 22, he says this, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now here's what Paul was saying. I, I've, I've heard it said, I've heard churches say this, we'll do anything short of sin to win people. And I understand that perspective because the perspective is like we want so desperately for people to know who Jesus is. So we'll do whatever it takes. We will do anything short of sin. Um, that that statement makes me uncomfortable um, because like God hasn't called us to tiptoe as close as we can to the line of sin. We do a good enough job of that on our own. But the the attitude of Paul uh, was was this: I become all things to all people. He's not speaking of. Doctrinal or or moral matters, he didn't sin, he didn't compromise the gospel, he didn't sacrifice the truth or godly character in order to reach people. What Paul was saying by "I become all things to all people" is this: He's sensitive to their culture and their customs and their feelings and their habits. Paul is aware of of his audience and he's trying to reach them. You've heard the you've heard the phrase win in Rome, right? Win in Rome what? Do as the Romans, right? And it's it's kind of that idea, being sensitive to the people you're trying to reach. There's a quote here from Chuck Smith, uh, uh, an old pastor who said, "Paul sought to win people to Jesus Christ by being sensitive to their needs and identifying with them. We should try to reach people where they are today and expect to see changes later." So Paul was seeking to serve people and to be sensitive to, to them and to identify with them. And his goal was that by all means, I might save some. His goal was again, to win them. And, and when he says that I might save some, uh, let, let's be clear on that. He wasn't the source of salvation, right? The source of salvation was Jesus. But what he's saying is I, I get to be a partner and a co-worker, a co-laborer to help bring people to faith in Christ. Actually let me quote first Corinthians 10 the very very next chapter Paul says this in verses 31 through 33 Paul says so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God. Does that sound familiar? Kind of resonates it, it kind of uh, echoes what we read in our benediction at the end of each service in Colossians 3 whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Okay, don't offend. And he kind of lays out three people groups. Jews, non-Jews, or Greeks, and the church of God. And he says, give no offense to them. Don't offend them unnecessarily. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So Paul, what are you saying? You're like a people pleaser, right? You're just being a people pleaser. You do everything to to please everyone and everything I do. No, 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 here's what he's saying. I seek to serve everyone. I wanna bless everyone, not for my own benefit, not for my own advantage, but so that many would be what? Saved. This is my intention. This is my purpose. This is my goal. I want people to know the goodness of God. This is what I'm all about. You know, um, back in... 2000, the year 2000, my wife and I graduated from Bible college in Missouri. We moved to this small town in Northeast Ohio, and we, we became part of a church there. Um, this was just before, this was three years before I became, uh, a, you know, an a ordained licensed pastor. And uh, I was under the mentorship of a pastor there who was uh, an incredible mentor in my life. His name was Joe, Pastor Joe. And uh, Pastor Joe was from Illinois or somewhere um, Midwest. It's all the same, right? He was from uh, I think it was Illinois, and he, he had moved to Ohio and it was part of this church. And I remember as he was mentoring me and kind of trying to help prepare me for, you know, being a pastor in life and ministry, one of the things he taught me um, was, you know, when you move to a place or when you join a church, become like a local, all right? This is kind of a missionary mindset, which Paul was, you know, one of the first great missionaries. Um, and, and so he said, hey, become a local. So whatever people there, you know, like and their customs and their habits kind of figure those things out and become a local, be- become like one of them. And I remember this one specific thing that he mentioned was, you know, like whatever team they like. Become a fan of that team. And for me at that point, I was like, oh, that's easy. You know, uh, I grew up in Ohio. He was talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm like, okay, I can do that. That's easy. I'm already a fan, you know? Um, I will confess some 20 some years later, I'm still working on that part, all right? Uh, I try to, I root for the Gamecocks, Um, the Tigers. Y'all, I still, I'm not there yet. Um, I'm trying, I still got some growing to do, right? but he, 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 I remember him teaching me that because he was, and our pastors at that church were such big fans of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I had a pastor from Florida and a pastor from you know Illinois and you know all over the place. But they became local people. They became sensitive. They became all things to all people. Why? They, it, it, was it an ulterior motive? Kind of. The, the motive was I want to win people to Christ. I want to share in its blessings with you, and I love how how Paul says this in verse number 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. There's that gospel burden, but he also says this. This is that gospel generosity that I may share with them in its blessings. I, I wanna share in the blessings that I've so richly enjoyed myself. I wanna share in the blessings of the gospel with others. And and other people may have looked at Paul's life and it may have appeared inconsistent because here one moment he's kind of behaving like a Jew and another moment he's behaving like a Gentile and he's kind of all over the place, seems inconsistent. But here is what was absolutely consistent about the life of Paul. He consistently pursued one goal. It was to win others. It was to get the good news of the gospel to others who needed it. This was his purpose, his gospel burden. And he wanted to share it with others, share in its blessings with others. So here is the question for us this morning. Am I generous with the gospel? Am I generous with the gospel? So think of generosity in your life. What's the opposite of generous? It's selfish and stingy, and we hoard it to ourselves. And we do that with probably a lot of things in our lives, but God has called us to be generous with the gospel. So if that's not the case, here's the prayer. God, give me gospel generosity. God, give me a generosity, this this desire to share in the blessings of the gospel with others. So Paul has this gospel burden from God, gospel generosity toward others. And this third and final thing, a gospel lifestyle for myself. Gospel lifestyle for myself. And we're going to read verses 24 through 27. Paul kind of concludes here and he says this, "'Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize?' so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is speaking to this gospel lifestyle and he, he uses this metaphor of an athlete. And this is pretty common for Paul because sporting events were, were big in Paul's day and they are still big in our day. And so uh, he used these athletic metaphors often, at least 12 times throughout his letters. He uses these, these, these metaphors or pictures right here. He's talking primarily about a runner. Uh, he also kind of mixes in like this idea of boxing as well, but this this picture, this illustration would have been really relevant to the the Corinthian readers, because this this Roman city of Corinth was the kind of the center of of these Olympic games, what were called the the Isthmian games. All right, these were only second in um, like notoriety to the Olympic games, and so. Let, let me read you a little bit of background um, on these Isthmian Games. I think it's it's intriguing. I learned some uh, some good stuff about this. This is from uh, BibleArchaeology.org, um, and just some some things about the Isthmian Games. Athletes throughout Greece would converge on the Isthmian Games every two years during the spring, so they were more f- frequent than the Olympic Games. These games were in honor of the Greek god Poseidon, which has a Roman counterpart, Neptune, which is the, the earth-shaking god of the sea. So they would have this these games every two years to honor their, their god, Poseidon. The athletes would compete in foot races, wrestling, boxing, throwing the discus and javelin, the long jump, chariot racing, poetry reading, and singing. Y'all didn't see that coming, did ya? Um, can you imagine getting, uh, we're going to make this an Olympic game, poetry reading, all right, um, and singing. So Andrew Poston is now an athlete that trains hard for his singing. He was stretching beforehand. I saw him, you know, stretching out the quads. Um, so these Isthmian games, here's a really, I thought, a very interesting fact or kind of uh, uh, just tidbit here about these Isthmian Games. Since there was no permanent accommodations at the site, the people stayed in tents in the surrounding fields. Fixing or selling tents would have given Paul and his newfound colleagues Aquila and Priscilla ample employment as well as opportunities to share the gospel with those attending. The games. If, if you've been keeping up at all with our F260 Bible reading plan, if you've kind of been making your way through the book of Acts, I believe it was around Acts 18. Um, it, it talks about Paul and his, his day job, what he made income from, how he supported himself because he wasn't receiving support from the church. He was a tent maker. So he would make tents. And then he met uh, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who also did that. And so they were supporting themselves. They were bivocational in a sense, and they were tent makers. And so what an incredible like, just piece of information that that, that Paul potentially, and probably most likely, because of his desire to win people, used this, this skill that God had given him um, to support himself and to preach the gospel to people at these games. Um, and so I thought that was a pretty intriguing deal. But he, here's what, what Paul is is doing here is um, he, he is using this example of, of an athlete and he describes his own lifestyle as that of an athlete. So think of, of any ath- athletic uh, competition or sport. Um, you know, athlete does two things, has an end goal in mind. Or, okay, they're, they're they're reaching a goal, and then they train towards that goal. Y'all maybe heard me a few weeks ago talk about um, this idea of running, how over the last few months I've started running. Um, I've got a goal November 6th, three weeks from today, I'm going to be running a, a half marathon. Um, I'm actually on the like verge of signing up for, I never thought I'd do this, um, a full marathon in in March, Um, Lord willing, I'll survive this half marathon, and then I can make my way towards the full marathon. But, you know, there's a goal there. And so there's this this whole training that takes place to get from couch to 5K to the half marathon to marathon, right? And so Paul here, and we see all throughout this, Paul has this goal to win others. And, And in verse 25, he says, you know, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In other words, you run to win and athletes run to win this, what ends up being a perishable wreath or crown. A medal, if, if you will, that will, will deteriorate. But Paul says, but, but we're training, our goal is to, to, to receive a, a reward that won't perish. And what he's speaking to is, is heavenly rewards and souls that are saved and will never ever perish because of faith in Christ and eternity with God. And so he's, he's running for this goal of this non-perishable wreath. You know, when we, there's a group of us that did this 5K um, over in Camden last month. And um, I was not, honestly not, I was, wasn't shooting for a medal, I didn't really care, I just wanted to do it. And uh, I didn't care about um, the reward until we got to the end and I realized, okay, the top three um, finish, finishers in each age group get a medal. And I was number four in the 45 to 49 age group. And I was like, dang it, I was so close. And then I got a little bit more like frustrated if I'm being honest when literally almost everyone else in our group got a, stop laughing. <laughs> It's because you got a medal, Corey, because there was only two people in your age group that competed. So anyways, <laughs> I was so frustrated, but, okay, let me circle around here. I got back that week, and my little namesake, Tate Davis, made me a trophy, and uh, this is a picture of that trophy. Who cares about those stupid medals? <laughs> This one is way better. Um, but as you can see, there's a part of it, actually, that fell off. I don't know where it landed, where it is, what happened to it. Um, but that's my point. It's a perishable reward, right? As awesome as that is, I will always prize that. But, but Paul, was, Paul was shooting for a reward, a crown that would never, ever perish. It was the souls of men and women who would put their faith in Christ and live forever? That was what he was aiming for. That was what he was training for. In fact, you know, you know, when you when an athlete trains for something, there's things that they have to uh, refuse or deny themselves of if they're go- going to reach the goal, right? They got to minimize the ice cream. I don't know. I've talked a lot about ice cream in the last few weeks, but um, minimize those things. You discipline your body in order to achieve things. So for for instance, running, which again, I'm new to, some of you have been doing that forever, but there's a lot of like discipline that goes into like training for this. There's how many days a week am I going to run? There's like, what do I consume? How much do I consume? When do I consume it? Uh, Sleep and rest and cross training. Like there's all these things involved in being an athlete and training uh, for things. And the point Paul was making here was that there's a lot of discipline and Bringing your body under control is, is, is what he says. In other words, if you're going to do it right, it really has to become like a lifestyle. It, it, it not just an occasional activity or an event. Like if you're going to become a, a runner, it, it affects almost everything that you do. And and this was the point for Paul. Like he. It, it, this goal that he had to win people to Jesus, dictated the way that he lived his life. In fact, he said this, I wanna live my life in such a way that I do not become disqualified. I don't wanna be disqualified. So let me give you an example of that. Those Isthmian games that we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the games, every athlete would, would, would stand and make an oath that they would follow the rules of the games. And if they broke that oath, guess what? They were done. They were disqualified. When you think of any kind of competition uh, today, whether it's you know a sporting event uh, or a race or whatever it is, you don't follow the rules, you get disqualified. And, and, and you know, as someone who loves to win and hates to lose, like maybe the thing that's worse than you know losing is being disqualified because you don't even get to play the game. And Paul said. I, I I want my life to uh, I don't want to be disqualified from this goal that I have to reach people. Now, how could Paul be disqualified from this goal of winning people? How could you and I be disqualified from this this goal of winning people to Christ? Well, for Paul, for us it would be to totally disregard holiness in our life, to live a life that's not in step with the truth of the gospel, to proclaim a pure gospel, but not have a pure life. This is what it means to be disqualified. Um, In the King James Version, it uses this translation. Instead of disqualified, it uses the word castaway. It says, I I don't want to become a castaway, which literally means to be put on a shelf to be rendered useless. Paul said, I don't wanna be put up on a shelf. I don't wanna be useless for the cause of, of Christ. Now, again, as, let me use myself as an illustration when it comes to pastors and ministry, because if, if you've been in church for a while, you, you kind of understand this term of being disqualified for ministry. What, what happens with, with pastors is, is for me or for any pastor to be disqualified from, from being a pastor, it means that I have failed the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 in Titus 1, which kind of says, hey, this is what an elder, a pastor, should be like. Um, Most often it appears in the church in the form of uh, a moral failure. When, you know, a pastor or ministry worker uh, engages in sexual sin, or maybe it's financial sin or theft, or maybe an abuse of of power or authority. And, And we see these instances where, oh, that pastor is disqualified from ministry. You know what it means to be disqualified from ministry? It means you're done. It, it means you're, you're put on a shelf. You can no longer do that. And so I'm off, I often think about this idea because I so love what I've been called to do and feel like God has called me to do this, that I don't ever want to lose this calling, this opportunity to pastor. Even more so than that, I don't wanna lose my family and be disqualified from the work that God has called me to do. And this is what Paul says here that if we are to proclaim the gospel, we ought to have a life of gospel integrity. But this doesn't just apply to me and to pastors. This applies to all of us, right? That if we are gonna say that we believe this gospel, if we're gonna proclaim this gospel, we ought to have lives that match the goodness of the gospel. That if we're gonna preach good news, that our lives ought to reflect good news, right? Let me say it this way. When your life doesn't match your message, you disqualify yourself. When your life doesn't match your message, you disqualify yourself. So every follower of Christ, let me say it in a different way. If you are mean and selfish and self-centered and grumpy and difficult, if you lack joy in your heart, if you lack joy in your face, if, you, if, if your life doesn't match the message that you're sharing, who's gonna believe that the news that you're proclaiming is actually good news? Who is actually gonna believe that the, there's power behind the message you proclaim if that message hasn't even changed you? So we disqualify ourselves when our life doesn't match the message. And Paul says, man, oh man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disciplining my body. I'm trying to bring my body under control. I'm trying to have a gospel lifestyle that reflects the good news of the gospel so that I don't disqualify myself from being able to preach to others and to win them to the good news of the gospel, gospel lifestyle. And so, you know, maybe the prayer for some of us this morning, if not many of us, is God changed my heart, changed my life, helped me to do the hard work of an athlete to discipline myself toward godliness, because God, I want you to use me for the sake of the gospel. And so these are the implications of gospel centrality. Here's how it works. It produces a gospel burden within us. The more and more we focus on the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel, God's goodness to us in Christ, that he came to rescue and redeem us and to save us from our sin, the more that we center our lives around the gospel, the more it produces within us a gospel burden that says, I must, I must share this good news with others. And, and as we grow, as, as that gospel burden is produced within us, we begin to grow in gospel generosity. In other words, it moves from, and some of you may have been in a church years and years ago where it was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna share the gospel every Tuesday or we're gonna go out and visit and like we're, we have to do this, we have to hand out so many tracts. I went to a, a Bible college where we were required to share the gospel. It was part of our grade. It's like you have to give out this many gospel tracts and you have to speak to this many people about Jesus and it was this forced thing and I understand the heart behind it but as we grow in our love for the gospel, the less it becomes like this have to And it becomes this, I get to, and I want to, and I must share this good news. Why? Not because I'm guilted into it, but because I want to share in the blessings of the gospel with others. I want them to experience the richness and beauty and the goodness of God that I have experienced. And so this gospel generosity begins to grow in us. And then as that grows, man we continue to develop this gospel lifestyle where things begin to shift in our everyday life that it becomes more than just a sunday go to meeting kind of faith where it impacts everything that we do just like an athlete and so my question as we wrap up this morning is this are you in it to win it is this a priority in your life because for Paul, winning at life was all about winning others to Christ. And, you know, I know as we talk about this, it's easy its easy for me to feel guilt and shame. To be like, man, I need more of a gospel burden. Man, I need to share my faith more often. Man, my life doesn't always line up with the truth of the gospel. Uh, it is so easy for us to feel guilt and shame. And here is... The reason god gives us his truth not to guilt us not to shame us but to convict us so we would respond to him in repentance and faith not so that we would be buried in guilt but so we would recognize our need for his grace in our lives that he is the one we can want to have a gospel burden but he's got to manufacture that he has got to produce that within us So my prayer for me, my prayer for you, I hope your prayer for yourself would be, God, give me a gospel burden. Amen. And so God, thank you this morning for the truth of the gospel that we are united around again this morning, Lord. um, We're grateful for the truth that you love us, that you have sought us out, you have done everything to redeem us from our sin. God, would you give every single one of us a gospel burden? Would you produce in us gospel generosity? Would you help that to influence and impact every area of our lives that we would have gospel lifestyles where our our life would match the message? God, we believe that this is good news upon which we can build our lives and we wanna share in its blessings with others. And so Lord, in all we do in this this picnic that we're getting to host and this car show and all the things, Lord, we wanna serve our community. We wanna bless with no strings attached, free of charge. But God, at the end of the day, everything that we do is with the purpose of winning people to Jesus, winning people over to the way of Jesus because we believe that your way is the best way. It is the way to life and freedom. And so God, would you would you help us today to fall more and more in love with this gospel? We pray in Jesus' name.